Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in the hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. And the stories of Jesus give life. His stories are called parables, and now we learn from these parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you students. I love all the blue shirts. Thank you so much. So, um, so can y'all tell the rest of us the word or the theme for the weekend that um, you guys kind of immersed yourselves in? What is it? Thank you, surrender, awesome. And you know, it, we prayed for you last week. It's our hope and prayer that God uses certainly all that God is doing through our youth ministry to nudge you along um, in your journey of faith with Jesus, but especially these saturated moments where you're worshiping together, praying together, uh, in small group together, in homes together. Um, that's why we do it. Uh, we believe that there's something significant that happens when we are Together, the Spirit of God works in us, and it's those moments of saturation that become kind of cornerstones or mile markers in our life, and I hope that was the case for you. I had the 10th grade girls in my home, and they're pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah that's all you got? That's all you got? Thank you. Uh, had the 10th grade girls, and just a, a joy and privilege uh, to have them in our home and host them, and um, Bailey, their small group leader, just a, just a delight. So glad we get to pee, be a part of these things. And so uh, we are in the parables of Luke uh, in chapter 18 today. And all of these parables, especially these, these last few, Jesus is using to compare the culture of the kingdom of God to the culture of the religious leaders or the Pharisees that he was engaging in. And the Pharisees were either direct recipients of the telling of these parables or stories, or they were overhearers like last week, they were overhearers as Jesus was teaching the disciples. But um, Jesus was trying to really teach about what the kingdom of heaven is like, what the heart of God is like, what his heart is like. Um, and that was compared to the culture of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, uh, were really bent out of shape uh, because of Jesus's teaching. Um, they separated themselves from the broken and sinful, from the tax collectors and others that they just deemed unrighteous in their own self-righteousness and pride. They didn't go out of their way to be with those kind of people, right? But Jesus said, you know, the, the, the kingdom of God is not like that at all. Jesus said the kingdom of God 
seeks the lost, seeks the broken, goes out of its way to find that lost sheep or lost coin. And when they find them, what does the kingdom of heaven do? What does the kingdom of heaven do? Parties, right? The kingdom of heaven rejoices when the lost are found. And Jesus is like in his stories, he's saying, listen, your culture is so far removed from the culture of heaven. And then last week he said, listen, you're so enamored with power and influence and the accumulation of money, so much so that you've kind of added to the law of Moses or twisted the law of Moses in such a way that you get greater power, influence, and money. And he says, listen, I want you to know the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is not enamored by the treasures of this world, but it sets its sight on eternal things, things that last. And Jesus is like, why don't you set your sights on things that last, right? Those eternal treasures. Um, This week is no different. Jesus is going to really compare and contrast two men in the His aim is to expose the culture of the Pharisees and their self-righteousness and the culture of heaven, right? So if we could stand together, we're gonna read verses nine through 14 of chapter 18. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and tax collectors. I'm certainly like like that tax collector, sorry. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Father, Lord, we desperately need your word to guide us in all of life. So help us to receive your word and obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, What we find in this parable is a visually striking portrayal of these two radically different men who come to the temple to pray. Now, we always need a little help because have you ever been to the temple in Jerusalem? It, it doesn't exist right now, it's just the Temple Mount. There's a mosque on there right now, but we've never been to the temple. So when, when Jesus says temple and says two men go to the temple to pray, we don't know exactly what that looks like. Sometimes we might envision, well, they're just walking into a building together. That's not how it looks. But for the Pharisees receiving this parable, they knew exactly what that looked like in their mind. When he said two men went to the temple to pray, they didn't have to decipher that through historical context and figure out what the temple was like. They knew exactly what Jesus was describing and what it looked like to go to the temple to pray. And so as I mentioned in the kids' sermon, you have this very visual, striking representation of this parable where the Pharisee, 
likely had to pass the tax collector through the court of the Gentiles, through the court to the women, and he got as close as he possibly could to the heart of the temple, the holy place and the most holy place. He couldn't go in there because only the priests could. Because, but in his own self-righteousness, he would get as close as he possibly could. Very visual. They knew exactly what this might have looked like. And so um, we're going to really just walk through what each of these men looked like, where they were, and what they did, and we're gonna compare them and then reach an outcome which Jesus clearly depicts for us. Now, Luke does a wonderful thing for us as narrator of this story. He gives us a peek inside the hearts of the Pharisees. And right off the bat in verse nine, Luke tells us, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. This is kind of the anchor for the whole parable, right? And, and, and Luke says, I want you to know that the people that are receiving this story had great confidence in their own righteousness, that they were very religious people, that they have accomplished all the religious expectations that they had received from the law and even more. They were righteous, self-righteous in their own mind. And they also scorned everyone else. And so they're self-righteous and then they looked at everyone else and called them them and those people, right? I don't hang out with them and I don't hang out with those people. I'm nothing like them and I'm not like those people because I am righteous. What a, what a snapshot and it's the anchor and motivation for Jesus to tell this story to them. And so we have two men went to the temple to pray. One was that kind of Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. No one likes tax collectors. Many of you have heard this before. They were in league with the enemy, the Romans. And not only that, they took more than was actually owed. They swindled people. That was kind of expected anyway. That's how they made their living, but they had defrauded people. And for that reason, no one liked being around tax collectors. They were indeed despised, and the Pharisees were in agreement. When Jesus said despised Pharisee, they were like, yeah, those people, them. That's what was going on in their mind. The Pharisee stood by himself. So you can kind of picture the Pharisee, again, had to walk through those people in the court of the Gentiles, and he walked through the court of the Jewish women all the way to the closest court, to the center of the Temple Mount, where the holy place and the most holy place is, and he stood by himself. There was no one else around him because he was righteous, and everyone else were those people, right? And he stood in confidence, he stood in confidence and he began to pray these words. I thank you, God, that I'm not like those people. Uh, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. Uh, I'm certainly not like that tax collector that I passed in the courtyard of the Gentiles. I'm not like him. Thank the Lord. That's the context of his Prayer And certainly, again, Jesus is likely exaggerating. I imagine most of the Pharisees are like, I would never pray anything like that. Certainly not out loud. Um, but Jesus knew their hearts, right? And Jesus was using exaggeration of this kind of praying to say, I know exactly what's going on in your hearts. 
Because I see it all the time. I mean, we've already compared and contrasted. You don't seek the lost or the broken because you're righteous. You distance yourself from them. You only hang out with the clean or the righteous ones. Jesus says, I know your hearts. But that's how they were praying. God, thank you that I'm not like them. And then, and then the Pharisee does this. He says, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So the Pharisees, I've done all the wonderful religious things you've asked me to do. I tithe. I tithe a tenth. And I even fast more than I'm supposed to fast. Right? They were only supposed, they were only called to fast once a year. They had added these additional fasts up to two to three times a week. And the Pharisee is like, man, I'm, I'm even going above and beyond what you've expected from me. Look at me, God. Look at me and all that I have done. The, the demeanor of the Pharisee, listen, the demeanor of the Pharisee is very transactional. Um, it's kind of like if you had students, if you had finished a long weekend project, you'd put in your hours, you had done the illustrations, you had whatever, whatever the project is, you'd built the model. I don't know what kind of projects you guys have these days, but you had done the work in the project and even you did all the extra credit. You know, on the bottom of uh, the assignment, there's like this other stuff. Now there's some, if you do these extra, this is like the, this is like the bare minimum, but you can do the extra stuff too and you can get more points. It's like you finishing your project, taking it to your teacher, professor, and saying, listen, not only did I do all the work of the project, but I did the extra credit. And it's transactional because you're coming before your teacher and you're expecting something in return because you have earned it. I deserve an A+. In your own mind and heart, when you turn in that project and you've done all the extra credit, you're expecting, look at me, teacher. Look what I've done. I deserve an A plus. Very transactional. It's no different from this Pharisee who said, I've done all the work. I've done all the extra credit. I'm not like those people. And I've done all that you've asked of me. Where's your favor? I'm deserving. I've earned your favor. Give me that A plus. It was very transactional. The Pharisee wasn't necessarily interested in a long-term relationship and fellowship. He was looking for continued blessing, that cosmic karma. If I continue to do good, you'll give me good stuff, and I am deserving of your favor. Now, this is an incredible contrast with the tax collector. Now, bear in mind again, I've already said it, and you know it, that no one liked the tax collectors, and so for him to be even close to the temple was probably a big deal. It's likely that he didn't want anyone to see him. And, like, uh, uh, and, and he was in the mix of that crowd in the court of Gentiles. But he didn't want anyone to take notice of him because he was despised so much. But that's where you find him. He, he doesn't go to the closest place because he knows he can't go to the court of the Israelites and he certainly is not gonna go to the court of the women. So he goes to the court of the Gentiles. He goes as close as he possibly can, keenly aware of his own sin and brokenness. This is where I belong. The scripture says that he was so aware of his own sin, kind of like Psalm 51.3 when David says, my sin is always before me against you. I have only sinned. This, this tax collector was keenly aware that he had defrauded people. He had lied to people. He had cheated people. 
He was those people and he was so broken and so um, aware of his own sin that he could not even lift his eyes towards heaven, partly because he didn't want anyone else to recognize that he was there, but he had to come there because he was praying to God. He was drawing near to God in his own way, the only way that he knew how, but he could not look up to heaven because that was the place of the Father. He could not bear to look to heaven because of his own shame, guilt, and fear. That's what the scripture says. It says that he stood at a dense distance, getting only as close as he felt comfortable. Of course, I don't think he was comfortable the whole time. The scripture also gives us this visual. Not only was he in the court of the Gentiles, distant from the Pharisee, who probably passed him at some point along the way. Not only was he not able to look to heaven, but he was beating his chest in sorrow. We don't do that. I think we probably have other ways to express sorrow and shame and guilt, but the scripture says Jesus says he was beating his chest because of the gravity of his sin. What a contrast. The Pharisees standing in confidence and thanking the Lord that he's not like those people and the tax collector at a distance in the court, the Gentiles, not able to look up to heaven, but And his prayer was radically different. It was simple. Lord, I beg you for, I'm pleading for mercy because I am a sinner. Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. That's verse 13. A striking visual contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. What's the outcome of this story? What's the outcome? Verse 14, Jesus doesn't really mince words. This is one of these parables that is very evident on its face. They didn't have to ask questions about what Jesus meant here. It might have begged other questions from the Pharisees because of their own self-righteousness, but it seemed pretty clear. Verse 14 says this. Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee, smug and self-righteous, returns home still condemned for his unrepentant sin. None the wiser. He thinks he's fine. Jesus says he went home unjustified. The tax collector, though, returns home justified or made right with God, which is an incredible act of mercy, right? Finish this for me. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? And so 
the penitent man, the humble tax collector who is despised by all, who found himself in the court of Gentiles, far removed from the Pharisees who said he had it all together. He's the one that leaves justified because he came not in his pride, but in his humility, desperate to God. There's a few things I wanna say about pride and humility that we see characterized in this parable. Pride says, pride says I need nothing. I don't need anything from God. Humility says, I need everything. I need everything. I'm desperate for forgiveness because I know my own sin. It's right here staring me in the face. I'm desperate for mercy and forgiveness and grace. I'm desperate for you to shape who I am as my creator and redeemer. Can you tell me who I am? What is my identity? I'm desperate for your help. I'm I'm desperate for purpose. I'm I'm desperate for fruit. I'm desperate for everything. I'm desperate for you to guide my steps. I'm desperate for you to give and meet my needs. I'm desperate for help. The humble comes before God with hands wide open saying, listen, I am desperate. I have desperate need and I need everything, not just a part need, not not partial need, but complete need. I need it all from you. Everything. That's what humility says. You guys have been talking about surrender in various ways, students, You've been talking about surrender in various ways um, this weekend. Humility, listen to me, humility is the work of surrender. Let me say it vice versa. Surrender is the work of humility. Surrender is the work of humility. A humble person recognizes their great need, and in so doing, they surrender themselves to a holy and living God of mercy, which they don't deserve, nor grace, and say, I need all of you because everything that I have or don't have is insufficient. I I need everything. And so surrender is opening up your hands. The Pharisee couldn't receive anything from God to begin with because he had no need. His his hands were closed, but in humility, we surrender and say, all of me is in need. I can't do this. I can't be the kind of person you've called me to be and created me to be. I need, and I, I, I need help. I need forgiveness. I need it all. That's surrender. Surrender is finally opening ourselves to all God has to offer us as his children through Christ. Another thing about pride and humility. Pride is always alone, distant, separate. Pride always scorns others. Humility, on the other hand, discovers fellowship with God and with others. This is important for us to understand. The end of this story, Jesus says, it's the tax collector, the humble man that left and returned home justified. If we're not careful that we can, we can read that word justified and also think of it only as a transaction. In other words, I've come to God with repentance and he gives me the righteousness of his son. There's that kind of 
some kind of exchange going on. I, I humble myself before you and I get your righteousness or your son's righteousness in return. Like, like a courtroom where a judge renders you righteous. Boom, right? The gavel. I declare you innocent of all charges. In this case, it's because Jesus has stood in our place. But we can be tempted to only think of that as a transaction. But that's not how Scripture describes justification or uh, what we receive from God through our repentance and humility. We get far more than a transaction. We get a relationship. Remember, in pride, there is distance and separation, but in humility, there is fellowship with God and with others. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James further says, draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. A judge in a courtroom does not draw near to those who are declared innocent. That's not his role or her role. They just bang the gavel and say, you're free to go, but not with God. When we return home justified because we've come to him with humility and belief and faith and repentance, he not only says, you have the righteousness of my son, but welcome home. Now we will have fellowship. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and the one whom he has sent. The Father sent the Son, not only that you might be justified and become the very righteousness of God, but that you might become children of God and have fellowship with him. The Israelites in the book of Micah have done all kinds of messed up, twisted things and they're trying to figure out how do they get right before God? How do they fix all the wrongs that they've done? And so there's like this this cosmic courtroom. You have the people of God and all of creation bearing witness and the people of God say, listen, what should we do? Should we bring you tons of offerings of oil and, and crops? And they're like, no, that's not enough. And should we even bring our own firstborn? Should we bring our children and offer them as a sacrifice? And God's like, no. And all of creation's like, what are you thinking? That's insane. And then God turns to the people of Israel who are trying to get their act together. He says, you know what it is that I've asked of you. Right? To do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is not just some distant foreign transaction of forgiveness and righteousness. It's I will give you the righteousness of my son. I will put on you a work you could never accomplish for yourself so that you can have a way to walk with me. Beautiful picture. Pride is blind. Humility is self-aware and sees others. So, um, Hayden, do you still have your sign? Good. Um, Can I have Travis and Hayden come back up? We're gonna flip the room. So this is, uh, the the temple mount is gonna be up there now. So, um, uh, So the Pharisee, Hayden, you need to go, you're gonna stay, wait a minute, flip that means you're gonna go back there. Hayden, you're gonna go back there. Wait a minute, that's not right. You're gonna be here. Is that right? Y'all are gonna, I'm spatially messed up. Okay, so, uh, and, wait a minute, we should, we did it wrong the first time, didn't we? Did we do it wrong the first time? We did, we did do it wrong. 
So because if this was the front, you would have stayed up here. I really messed with some minds this morning. Oh, you're the text? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I I promise this isn't stand up. Okay, okay, so now now you're gonna go back there. So we're gonna flip the room, the, the Temple Mount, Holy of Holies, Holy Places back there. So um, I'm gonna need y'all's help. So we, we have um, the proud Pharisee in the back. Let's pretend for a moment that the proud Pharisee, by God's grace and mercy, comes to his senses. And he's aware of his own brokenness. Where do you think the Pharisee will go? Here, thank you, Mimi, I appreciate it. You can be confident. Say that with confidence. The front, the front right? Come on down, Travis. So the Pharisee has, has gone from proud to humble, and he, he is walking towards this despised tax collector. Good. Now stay right there. Awesome. Y'all see what just happened? Pride always separates separates us from God and it separates us from others. This is is the image that Jesus wanted the Pharisees to capture. Pharisee, you are alone and unjustified and stand and stay condemned. You are the one that's distant. But in humility, if you humility, if you draw near to God in humility, he will draw near to you. But, but look at this. Not, not only have they both drawn near to God, but now they have drawn near to one another. And for the first time in his humility, he can see himself for who he is and his desperation for God's mercy, and he can see the tax collector for who they are. And rather than, rather than condemnation and separation and distance and those people and them, he says... As I receive mercy, I give you mercy. I see you. I see you. And I'm just as desperate as you are desperate. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you. Where do you think Jesus would have been? If Jesus had stood in the temple to pray, where would Jesus have stood? the very righteousness of God. I think Jesus would have stood right with them, right with the tax collector. In fact, we know that. We don't have to ask that question. But because he is called Emmanuel, God with us. For him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf. And he stood among the broken. This is the picture that Jesus has been trying to cast the whole time with the Pharisees. Don't you see? God sent the son to save the lost. He mixed things up. He he stood right among them. And rather than judgment, he gave mercy so that they could receive mercy, so that they could have fellowship with God and with one another. What an incredible, incredible picture. And so there are two responses that we have today. One is rejoicing in that Jesus, when he came, he came to us, all of us messed up, broken 
people that we might be able to see the very righteousness of God, that we might be found, and that the kingdom of God rejoices and we rejoice. But also I think there's another question that continues um, to be begged is, is there still subtle ways in which we live in our own pride? Pride is far more subtle than what we saw in this story. Pride doesn't always exclaim out, loud, thank you for that, I'm not like them, look at all that I've done. It usually doesn't find its way outside of our mouth. Sometimes it does. Uh, but pride is very subtle. And, and this side of eternity until Jesus comes back, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you still wrestle with pride. The question is, um, in what subtle ways do you still live and function in pride? I think one of the clearest ways, and we're, we're about to be done, one of the clearest ways that we can discern whether we still struggle with pride is if you still say those people and them. Those people. That person. Glad I'm not like them. Not hanging out with them. Do you, can you believe what they said? When we start drawing lines between ourselves and them, that might be an indication that we wrestle with pride. When we start lifting up to God and saying, oh God, look what I've done I bet you're really proud of me for the things that I've done. Might be an indicator that we wrestle with pride. We're gonna move into a time of response and last week we introduced some prayers. Um, and so I'm gonna have two prayers up front, Jay and Tim. They're both, one's gonna be here, one's gonna be there. And the reason we're doing this is to remind ourselves that, that we are desperate for God. And, and you, if you're comfortable, if you need just someone to affirm over you who you are in Jesus, to remind you you're forgiven in Christ. If, you've, if you're walking with Jesus and put your faith and trust in him, you're forgiven. You are a child of God. Or maybe you're wrestling with something in your life right now. You just want someone to pray. It's not, it won't take long. You can just let them know, listen, this is, this is what's happening in my life. Will you pray for me today? So we're gonna have Tim and Quinjay um, up front in a moment. And then during our time response, I'll be available too. I usually either stand right here or right here. Uh, don't let that bother you. Just come tap me on the shoulder. If you're coming in new faith, if, like that tax collector who came before the Lord and said, man, I am broken and your sin is all right here right now and you're ready to come to him in humility, the promise of God through the Son is that today is the day of salvation for you, that just like that, you can return home justified made right with God. And that can happen today too. If, that, if that's what's taking shape in your life, student, adult, we wanna know about it. Um, tap me on the shoulder, let your neighbor know, but we wanna know what God is doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for simple stories that challenge all of us. And so Lord, we ask that in your mercy and your grace, you expose all pride in us that keeps us from fellowship with you and with others. Um, speak to us and lead us now in this time of response, Lord, uh, as we sing, as we pray. Help us to faithfully listen to your voice and respond to you. Say yes to you.
express need to you, walk with you. Help us to do those things today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.